Good morning, everyone. This is One Thing More with Jamelin and this is Kim. And this is a podcast where we talk about one thing more after the sermon the previous Sunday at Zinesville United Methodist Church. Kim and I are both on staff there. I'm the pastor of Connections and Kim is the pastor of wellness and worship. Yes. And I like that she said wellness first because uh, we all on staff lean on her for wellness. So Kim is a licensed therapist and I am a licensed opinionated person. And so together we try to talk more about the sermon. Uh, This week, Matt um, was with us, was the preacher And he um, talked about neighbors, which I thought was right in our wheelhouse. This is stuff that we really like to talk about. And he asked um, a question, when was a time that you maybe weren't a good neighbor, that someone maybe overlooked a neighbor? I personally did not like the question because it caused me to pause and think about myself. And I don't really like to do that. Did you think any about that question? I I did. And I I can think kind of like you, like I was like, "Mm, I could probably think of, you know, five times in the past week where I wasn't the kind of neighbor that Matt was encouraging us to be. And, you know, I love that he was vulnerable and willing to share that he hadn't been the best neighbor either. But what it made me really think about, and I had not thought about this for years and years and years, Jamalyn, but Um, It made me think about 35 plus years ago when I was going through a divorce and a good Samaritan came by and really helped me out of a jam. Oh, okay. Yeah. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, I guess so. I kind of don't, but I feel like I should because it came to me during the sermon. And so I feel like if I share the story, like it's hopefully going to be helpful to someone. But yeah, so I was going through a divorce that was, you know, not <laughs> not the nicest. Um, and my uh, husband, estranged husband at the time, <clears throat> and I were um, together in the car and he was not happy with me. And so he just started driving like out of Indy. And, you know, we lived on the West side of Indianapolis and there was no such thing really. Well, there was a Brownsburg and an Avon in those suburbs, those, you know, current suburbs, but they were really cornfields and wheat fields. And there was no Best Buy yet. No, not at all. There was no, no Best Buy, no Meyer, none of that. Just Uh farmland right so we start driving and I'm thinking what the heck oh and it in addition to that it was like January and it was 35 years ago when we got like feet of snow so we had had a lot of snow that winter and the roads were clear but the fields were probably had I don't know 20 inches of snow on them at any rate um we are driving and driving and driving and he just stops the car and says get out and I'm like you know yes (laughs) And wait a it minute. Was, it was in the morning, early in the morning. It was probably wind chill below zero. Uh, and everything's oh covered in snow. Yeah. Yeah. So I and uh, at that point, I'm guessing that you two were not holding hands in the car and singing love songs to each other. 
what we was the not, vibe like in the car the vibe was super tense like you could cut it with a knife it were you was, scared I was a little scared but I was more scared to stay in the car than to get out of the car yeah so I you got out of the car a better a better chance of being safe or getting safe if I got out of the car even though I have no idea like how's that going to happen I'm in the middle of nowhere I don't really know where I am it's wind chill below zero I did have a really nice uh Eddie Bauer parka though that came down almost down to my ankles uh oh, well that was helpful <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I got out and I just started walking you know and I don't even know where he went but I did not see the car now later he said he watched well, wait a minute. so just so our listener understands if you're not from Indiana Brownsburg oh, yeah. now is very suburban, but 35 years ago, it was very rural. Mm -hmm. So there were no sidewalks where you were, I'm guessing. No sidewalks, no black people either. Let me say that. Well, and that's what I was, for the <laughs> listeners outside the state, uh, Indiana is not known to have many people of color in agricultural places. Like when I moved to North Carolina, that was like a wake up call to me. I didn't realize people of color lived in agricultural communities because in Indiana, that ain't so. That is not. It's so not. you were also sticking out just for that. Not only were you walking on the side of the road, but you weren't clearly from around there. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm walking on the side of the road, probably, I don't know, not that long, probably not more than 10 minutes. And this pickup truck, rolls oh up slows down and I'm like okay here we go right <laughs> um window rolls down probably manual roll down like this right. is a shotgun leaning, in the window leaning over and it's this older white man he looks like a farmer you know like you know what are those oh Carhartt kind of clothes yeah uh, and he says what are you doing out here walking and I turned to him and I, I don't even think I said anything at first. And he said, what's going on? What's wrong? He was almost like a dad figure. Like, mm -hmm. so I told him what had happened and he said, get in this truck. So I got in the truck and he was really mad about what had happened. And he had some kind of choice words to say about a person who would drop me off in the middle of yeah. rural America and just leave. And um, I had been trying to go to my friend's house to help her with a party that was going to happen that night. And so this Good Samaritan um, took me all the way back to Indy to my friend's house and made sure that I got in safely. And I never talked to him again. Of course, this was way before cell phones and that kind of stuff. And I never talked to him again, never saw him again. He just sort of appeared out of nowhere. Um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That was my good Samaritan experience. Like he could have done a million things other than stop, but he stopped and helped me like a stranger, a real stranger. Um, but it does make you think about being a good neighbor. Like, what does it mean for me to be a good neighbor? You know, am I willing to go out of my way like that for, for my neighbor, you know, or for a stranger? So Matt's well, question. Me, I, I mean, first of all, as your friend I just want to like hug you because that's a horrible story um 
I'm glad in a way that you went back to a friend's house. So there was someone to sort of, you know, kind of say, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Hopefully your friend did. Yeah, um, they were, yeah, they were good. Um, but you know, it is interesting how people show up in crazy places. Like, I'm not really sure. And this is where I think theology can get a little bit messy because you know, there's a part of me that wants to say, well, I'm so glad God put that person in your life in that moment to help mm-hmm. take care of you. But then there's a, like a part of me that's like, how come God didn't make the car run out of gas before you got dropped off in Brownsburg? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Like, but I mean, this is human nature. This is why I believe in free will, because people are going to make decisions and you know, your ex-husband made a horrible decision, but that gentleman who picked you up made a good decision. And yeah. so we're just all kind of part of the story. Um, how did it make you feel to have him be so mad at your ex-husband? It was, um, it, it made me feel seen and cared about. Uh, and again, he was almost, it was almost like, he was my dad. Like he was that upset about what had happened and he wanted to go after this person, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is nice. Um, when people who don't even know you want to advocate for you, which is really what the good Samaritan did. Yeah. You know, picked him up, cleaned him up, took him to the inn, said, I'll be back. Here's a little bit of money you know, advocated for this person he didn't know. And most people didn't think he'd want to help, which is, I hate to say it, kind of what happened with you. Yeah. Like on paper, none of that makes sense. None of it. And this guy was way above and beyond, right? Like way above and beyond what he really needed to do. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, blessings for him. Yeah. Hopefully he passed down that kind of generosity to his family. I'm yeah. sure he did. I'm sure he did. And too. blessings to you for getting out of a messed up situation. Yes, definitely. Um, that made me think um, when I was talk, speaking about passing on to generations, I was just thinking when I was probably like maybe second or third grade, <laughs> I was with my grandma during a time when it, I'm laughing because we both said, we both were like, when it used to really snow in Indiana mm. and it was right around Christmas and she and I were, we were going somewhere in town. My grandma lived way out in the country. So we were in town, probably going to the post office um, where she always went. And we picked up um, a woman who was sitting on a bench waiting for a bus and had tons of packages around her. Like you could tell she'd been doing her shopping, mm-hmm. but it was snowing on her. Like there wasn't like a canopy or anything And mm-hmm. my, and it was right at a stoplight. And my grandma pulled over and said, get in here, let me take you home. And I just assumed my grandma knew her uh-huh. and she got in with all her packages and the car was warm and you know they chatted the whole way home like they'd known each other their whole life and it wasn't until I was a young adult 
that it occurred to me, my grandma did not know who that woman was. Oh. I mean, we we went to a part of the of Terre Haute that I knew my grandma didn't know anyone who lived. And later in life, it occurred to me, you know, my grandma was this older white woman. Her friend was an older black woman. And they probably would have never met, mm-hmm. you know, and they just chatted and went on. And that has stuck with me in so many ways of what it means to be generous with your time mm-hmm. and with, you know, my grandma didn't give her any money or anything. She just treated her like a friend yeah. to the point where it took me probably 20 years to realize my grandma did not know who that was. <laughs> yeah, know? I think that probably had a huge impact on the way that you are generous and hospitable to people. Like, I mean, that just planted a seed right in you that just grew and grew and grew and grew. Because for years we would pass that bench and I would always think, oh, that's where we picked that woman up with my grandma. It always stuck in my brain. Yeah. It really did. So, you know, for me, I'm on the side of the man who picked you up, Mm -hmm. who, you know, I got to see what that kind of generosity looks like. And the woman was not in dire straits like you were, but it still was cold. And hopefully it meant something to her that someone didn't mind picking her up. So being a neighbor is really hard because, you know, the thing I was thinking about too, is you could have chosen not to get in the truck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so having people take care of us or offer a hand it it involves us having a sense of vulnerability as well to receive it i mean that can be just as hard the samaritan could have seen the jew coming to help him and said get away from me go away but that's you know yeah i mean i think you're right you gotta you gotta be in a place to receive neighborly love also right Right. Like, and a lot of times, yeah, we are too proud or too whatever to realize that this is help that's being sent for us, you know, yeah. and that we need to take it. So the other thing Matt talked about that I really liked is he said, giving should stretch us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, he and Dave had a conversation at the end about how do you know when to help the person you see standing on the median. And Matt gave some examples of how they used to take bottled water when they would go to Cincinnati Reds games to pass out to people. And um, I know a lot of, some people have done the packets of like a sandwich and they hand it out to people or even in the winter time, you know, having like socks and a bottle of water and gloves and a hat and like a bag. And if you see someone handing it to them, I mean, that all seems really helpful. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of people are looking for cash. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is hard to know, you know, who to give to. One guy downtown always has a sign that says, I'm not going to lie. The money's for beer. <laughs> and I always give to him. <laughs> Because he's honest, yeah. you know. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. well, here's five bucks. It it is it is hard. I mean, you know, having like served a downtown church, like you know, I had relationships with a lot of unhoused people, and you know, I was there for seven years, so you see people sort of cycle in and out. Like, oh, where's Mike? Well, you know, he's gone to Illinois on a bus or whatever, but Mike would be back, you know, and six he'd be 
around for six months, gone for six months, back for six months, gone for six months. You know, they're like things cycle. And I think when you, when you haven't done the work that we've done in terms of being with people and being in places where people are asking you for something on a pretty regular basis, yeah, you have a different perspective, of course, and you haven't like studied this kind of thing. And there's a lot of research that says we really shouldn't just hand somebody $5. And also there's your, there's your heart and your soul and what you want to do in the moment. You know, I certainly have handed somebody $5 before, even though I know that a better option is probably choosing an organization that I want to support and giving my money there and maybe telling the person about that. But that doesn't always happen. You know, like the other day I was getting off 465 at um, Michigan Road and there was a guy in a wheelchair with one leg and I wanted to give him some money, but I don't have any cash, you know? Well, that's um, the other thing is a lot of times you don't have cash. Right, right. You know, and um, so I didn't and, you know, I felt bad for him, but, and I wonder like what his story is. That's another thing. Like when you just hand somebody some money, like, I really want to know their story. I'm genuinely, genuinely interested in like, how did you end up at the bottom of a ramp? You know, asking for money. I think the other hard thing is like, there are people that are always in, like, I know I've seen that gentleman a number of times too. There's a gentleman in our area that's always at the Chick-fil-A that's been Uh, there for 10 years. If you go there right now, he's there. I I promise you. (laughs) Right. And so like, there are the, you know, there's situations like that where, because I used to, you know, do outreach work at a large church, I, I was in conversations with organizations in the city that help people that are, you know, without a home. And many times I I would see people and I'd be like, I know you chose to be where we, on the North side, because all the services are downtown. Yeah. But they come up to the north side of Indy where it's a little bit more affluent in mm-hmm. like the Carmel area, Zionsville, Fishers, that kind of thing. Yeah. So in my mind, because I was hardened by all that, I would be like, well, if you would just be downtown where the services are, it'd be so much easier. Not thinking, well, they're actually going where they think they can get the most help. Like, you know, you can look at it <laughs> from both sides. Like, well maybe applaud them for being resourceful. Yeah, <laughs> <You> exactly. <know? laughs> so, I mean, I have seen people like actually like change, do a shift change and mm-hmm. one person gets dropped off and another person gets picked up. I mean, so it, it's hard to know how to help, but I, I love what Dave said about honoring the humanity of the person who makes the ask and then yes. recognizing your own limits, you know? Right. The other thing is, I don't know, I don't want to be not on the side of the panhandlers necessarily. However, it's hard work to stand in the heat for 10 hours a day, you know, or in the cold. And if that's how they are choosing to like spend their day versus sitting somewhere and letting, I don't know, I see it really from both ways. So I always just kind of think, well, I'm going to leave this up to the Holy Spirit. If I give him five bucks, I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to make that $5 multiply in a way that is edifying to the person. And 
what is $5 to me? Not a whole lot. Thank God I'm in such a blessed place that I can give $5 and not feel the pain. Yeah. Um, so I think sometimes I won't. And then sometimes I just feel like a little nudge to, yeah, go ahead and give. And I just trust that the Holy Spirit's going to be the, the answer behind that. Mm-hmm. I do too. I just, I, I kind of just go with that in the moment. Like, you know, most of the time I don't just hand someone money, but there are some times when I will. Like, have you ever been at where Coles is on Michigan, like 106? There's a yes, person uh-huh. who plays like electric violin. What? Yeah, this summer, I'm just thinking of that. So it's a family with a couple of kids. And I think it's one of the kids maybe who plays electric violin and they have a bucket out there. Like, I think they may be unhoused or were unhoused this summer, but the music is beautiful. Hmm. Well, um, I forget there was a musician whose mom made her living playing singing and playing music in the subways in New York city. Mm -hmm. Um, like this woman is a famous, I don't think it was Macy Gray, but it was someone like, you know, in that era of music. And even when the, the child had made it and probably could have afforded to help the mother, the mother chose to still go there and sing. And that was her job. She really enjoyed it. So you never know, like that might really be how someone's trying to make their living. And we're just part of it. Yeah. So um, I wondered about um, the song that they sang after. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, um, there was a lyric you had written down the lyric. So um, I liked this part, it says, when the chasm between us feels so wide that it's hard to imagine the other side, but we don't have to see things eye to eye for me to love you like you are my neighbor. Mm-hmm. That lyric popped out to me as I was listening because it feels like more than ever in our world, we really need to understand, you know, it's not so much helping a neighbor, like taking a hot roast to them or whatever, but also being a good neighbor is being comfortable with the fact that we don't always all agree. Like yeah, in political season, we should be okay. If my sign in my yard is opposite of your sign in your yard Mm -hmm. and anymore, I feel like even with that, like people in my neighborhood were like, I'm not putting a sign in my yard because I don't want people to define me by that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, that's a huge shift in 30 years from when I was growing up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And this is a thing that I hear you talk about a lot. So I know it's a high value for you and that it is something that you want for our community at Zionsville United Methodist Church is for us as a faith community to be able to have different ideas and values about things, but still be able to be in community together because that diversity of voice and thought and value is valuable, you know? Yeah, I just feel like it could be such an amazing witness to be Mm -hmm. known as the church that doesn't agree, but loves each other. (laughs) I mean, you know, more or less. Um, 
Well, I mean, and, right, we used to be able to, I mean, people did that. Like you had different, you know, political affiliation or religious affiliation even, but you didn't like avoid those people. Like you still could sit down and have lunch with them. Yeah. Yeah. It felt, it, yeah. I mean, like I'm having lunch today with some high school friends and, you know, it's funny because we don't all agree on politics together, but we have remained friends through the years because there's other values we hold that are more important to us than agreeing on that. But it is, I just thought that was interesting because I was kind of running around on Sunday morning doing some stuff for hospitality. And that I heard that one and my ears perked up and you're right. I think part of too why this holds such high value to me is because I don't want my kids to pick friends who are just like them. Mm-hmm. Like I understand the richness of having relationships with people who are different than you and who can add a lot to your life. You know, like I talk a lot my um business partner, Buffy and I, we differ on a number of things, but we can have like really great dialogue. And at the end of the day, I walk away kind of learning something different. And I think she does too, but we still love each other deeply. And for me, those friendships are so valuable in my life because they help me grow and help me learn. And I just want that for other people. Like even theologically, if we don't agree, I think God's big enough for us all to identify with God in unique ways that maybe don't make sense to me. Like, I'm like, I'm not sure about that. But if that makes you grow and love deeply and be good to the world and be the hands and feet of Christ, and it's not harming anyone, then who am I to say you're wrong? Right. That's very pretentious to to think that any of us, no matter what our opinion is, understands what God means um, by, but, you know, I think we understand love one another. And the greatest of these is love. Uh, and sure. if we're doing that, the other stuff sort of just falls in line, you know, and the song ends um, by saying, there's a light that shines on both the rich and poor, looks beyond where we came from and who we voted for. Till I can't see a stranger anymore. I see my neighbor. May my heart be an open door to my neighbor. You are my neighbor. Yep. Maybe John can put um, in the notes that song so people can listen to it. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. You know, but and I would, um, you know, and I think that's a really great place for us to end is just recognizing you see people on the street asking for money. We don't know what their backstory is. I mean, they could have been, it could have been that they didn't have a happy ending from an ex-husband taking them out into the sticks. Yeah. You know, you don't know, or, um, you know, a neighbor that seems quiet and almost snobby. You you never know what's going on behind doors. That's right. And so you know, I think all we can do is be good Samaritans is just share a little bit of God's goodness with others because what's it do to us? It doesn't, it's not like it takes away our own goodness. You share exactly. it and exactly. it feels like it multiplies. It, it multi- I agree. I think somehow it multiplies it. That's one of the mysteries of being faithful people. Yeah. So, yeah. I would just um, encourage everybody to be a good neighbor. 
I'm very thankful for, I'm going to name him Bob, the man who picked you up. Mr. Bob. Mr. Bob, I'm glad he helped you. And I wish I was with you because I kind of want to give you a hug. Well, I feel hugged by you. I love you, Jamelin. I love you too. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.